Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And our purpose here is to encourage you to tell coincidence stories to each other and to, to write them down in what you might call a coincidence diary. So what is your most recent coincidence? What is your most interest? What is the one synchronicity that stood out to you in your life? My most recent one involved being contacted by a woman looking for research substantiating that interpersonal energy is real energy between people. The next day I received an email from another woman whose energy was disturbing other people enough so that she had to feel like she had to be away from people. She could only be around her daughter. And this disturbed her and she'd read my post in Psychology Today about interpersonal energy, which has been one of my most popular posts there because it's not recognized by, by regular science that there's energy between people as well as around people. That's somewhat recognized. So she needed to get some substantiations scientifically of that. And I had some ideas to send to her. The second person, uh, I, inf I informed the second person who was an empath and, and, and studied how this energy might work in her, in her practice, I sent her the email that the first person had sent me about her disturbing other people's energy patterns. And the second person said, oh, send her to me. I think I know what's going on with her. I can help her. And that happened within a day. And once you start tuning into coincidences, uh, this stuff of, of, of key into lock, or, or hand into glove, they happen. And you get to expect them. And we get to wonder, how do they happen? And that's part of my job is be able to try to explain some of these things, but they're fun, and you can use them. So that's my most recent coincidence. What's yours? Our guest today is not so coincidental. I've met Harley Rothbart before. We had lunch in Denver several years ago, had a good time with each other. He is a nationally known infectious disease specialist, a pediatrician, parenting expert, speaker, and educator, and I will add sports fan for nearly four decades. He is professor and vice chair emeritus of pediatrics at the University of Colorado at a School of Medicine and Children's Hospital in Colorado. He's the author of more than 175 medical and scientific publications, which is a lot, and five previous books for general audiences, including Miracles We Have Seen, 940 Saturdays, No Regrets Parenting, Germ Proof Your Kids, and On the Deck 
circle of life, which good old third baseman Cal Ripken endorsed for him. What a player. <laughs> Dr. Ropar has, was named the best doctors in America for 18 consecutive years, as well as receiving numerous other national and local awards for research, teaching, and clinical work. He's on the advisory boards of Parents Magazine and Parents.com, makes numerous media appearances, including being on American Idol, what a thing, and Dr. Oz. Uh, he writes his own blog uh, called Coach Harley. I, I like that he was a baseball and basketball coach for 16 years, including eight years at the high school level. Uh, just parenthetically, my baseball coach found me as a sophomore batting like 118. And um, then as a junior, he taught me how to drag bunt. And I won the batting title as a result of what he showed me. Coaches are important and you you know that. He lives with his wife, Sarah. Pardon? If drag bunts improved your batting average, it speaks not only to your bunting, but to your speed on the base paths. It does speak for, yes. Yeah, I could run. I, and when I was in uh, college, I was fourth in the nation school in small, small college base stealing. So I like to do that. It was fun. Got to be quick. Uh, Dr. Rothbart and his wife, Sarah, live in Denver and are the parents of three big children and are the grandparents of three little kids. So Harley, welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. It's good to see you again. Thank you, Bernie. It's, it's nice of you to have me, and I, I always enjoy visiting with you. Well, what I didn't mention is you got a new book out, and that's part of the reason we're there, and it's called No Regrets Living. No Regrets Living. Seven Keys, Seven Keys to a Life of Contentment. And uh, that's a lot to promise, and what do we mean <laughs> by contentment? But it's well written, uh, Harley. It's a, it's was fun reading it separate from uh, Medical Miracles that, that you had written about before, which you edited. This one you had written, and uh, it shows um, a wide range of information, knowledge that you have, and I think readers would be educated just from how much you know. Nice of you to say. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, this is a this show is about. Uh, synchronicities and coincidences. And there's a lot in there, including your descriptions of, uh, of what the COVID-19 has been doing and how it might relate to some of the things that you were writing. And your, your passion for infectious disease became pretty clear as you wrote about COVID-19, not just as a disease itself, but its impact um, culturally and socially and interpersonally. But this is, a, this you have, a, this is about coincidences and there are a lot of different things you put in there to, that can help with no regrets living. But I like the big yellow butterflies. I like the big yellow butterflies and the blue jay uh, that you, you talk about uh, under the section of signs. Um, could you tell us uh, about those um, those animals that uh, appeared in yours and other people's lives. You know, Bernie, I, I uh, as as I've sort of evolved in life, I've become more and more conscious of signs um, and and of coincidences. And the signs, you know, people talk about the butterfly effect. Uh, the butterfly effect is is a 
scientific concept that says that the action, even a small action in one part of the world, after many, many, many different steps can have a great impact elsewhere. And the traditional um, uh, metaphor for that is that if a butterfly flaps its wings in one part of the world, it could result in a typhoon in a far distant part of the world with many intervening steps, many inflection points, many coincidences or acts of fate in between. And that's called the butterfly effect. Um, and it's been used by motivational speakers, inspirational speakers and writers um, to say that each of our actions can have impacts beyond what we intend and beyond what we expect and that we may not even know that we are all potentially impactful of others with uh, our actions. Um, but our family has its own butterfly effect. And that's the story that you're referring to and one that's very um, sort of meaningful in our family as is the Blue Jay story that you asked about that I'll mention. So um, my nephew uh, about uh, 15 years ago was having his bar mitzvah. And the bar mitzvah is a, is a coming of age ceremony in Jewish families. And the setting for this was an outdoor Red Rocks arena, if people know the, the Red Rocks area in Colorado, it's a beautiful outdoor amphitheater. And uh, he was uh, doing his ceremony, reading from the, the portion of the Torah, the, the Bible, the Old Testament. Um, and as he began reading, a giant yellow butterfly alighted on the brick wall that he was facing. Now, what was the significance of that? Well, a few weeks earlier, my grandfather, his great-grandfather, who um, took great pride in, in all of us, passed away. And uh, we called him Zadie, that's a, an affectionate Yiddish term for grandfather. And Zadie's passing had a great, had a great uh, impact on all of us, and especially on my nephew, who had, had um, been practicing his bar mitzvah in front of his Zadie for, for a time before Zadie passed away. So this butterfly now alighted on this brick wall, and it stayed there for the entire bar mitzvah ceremony until my nephew finally turned around to face the audience and give his, his speech. And then the butterfly flew away and we all kind of noticed it, uh, commented about it, and then thought that was unusual to have that butterfly so attentive and so persistent in, in visiting during that ceremony of, of my grandfather, his great-grandfather's um, uh, special day. And then giant butterflies <laughs> became part of our lives. Um, we, when my grandfather's daughter, my mom, passed away and the gurney was loading her into uh, the hearse for the funeral home, a giant yellow butterfly flew across our path of vision in front of the hearse as if to say, I'm waiting for you. That's her father in, in, as a butterfly. And then when, when our son was graduating from Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, there was a, a giant ceremony in the stadium. And then there was a smaller ceremony on the quad under a tent. And we're sitting there, five or six of us from the family, and they call the names alphabetically. 
of the graduates from his school within the university to march by and pick up their diplomas. And as they called my son's name, a giant yellow butterfly entered one side of the tent, flew across the podium where the diplomas were being given to my son, the diploma was being given to my son, and then exited the tent to the other side. And all of us in, in the, the Rothbart row um, gasped because we all knew what that yellow butterfly meant. Nobody around us understood why we were gasping, but, but th there was the yellow butterfly again. So it was my grandfather reincarnated as a yellow butterfly to visit his his grand his great grandchildren's bar mitzvah and graduation. No, I don't believe in that he was necessarily reincarnated, but was he sending us messages? Maybe. Uh, it's it's hard to explain those coincidences otherwise. It it's this um, hard to explain thing. Um, that's fun talking to a guy like you because you're uh, you're a good scientist trying to figure out how things work. I mean, infectious disease has been what your job has been is how do these things happen and at various levels. And here you make an observation and it's not it's not the only you're not this no, yours is not the only butterfly story that's like this. And part of the fun of being a, a coincidence guy is that I hear different stories and I, oh yeah, I know that one, or I know that one. But to the person uh, and, and your the Odebart family for this, for which this happened, oh, this is, wow, this is amazing. This is happening to us, it's so special. And it is special, but it's not singular. And one of the things that happens with coincidences that I get to see more often is that these strange things that seem to happen to me or if they happen to me, they're happening to other people also. And that's what I've come to be able to expect. It's not just a one-off thing. So there are butterfly stories like this. And there's a, a little bird story that's uh, maybe like your, maybe not quite like your Blue Jay story, but where a woman has just lost her baby after five days of existence and she's grieving and there she's at a picnic with some of her friends and a baby bird or a small bird comes and lands on her breast and won't go away won't go away until she thought it was time for it to go away and it was it that helped her with the grieving of the loss of her baby Birds have long been around, and butterflies too, as uh, related to signs, omens, or signs. And what we're what we're here with, and what I'm doing, bridging two fields, ways of thinking, is asking people like you, Harley, is to think about these things as having mechanisms, as having as having explanations, to not just say maybe, um, and I don't know. But to put them there, just like how did COVID-19 happen, put them in a place where we can wonder about that. And that's, that's what I'm doing with you, with that pick up the butterfly one. And the Blue Jay story, we don't have to go through, but it's the same idea that these animals are part of us, that when you talk about us being connected, that we're all part of the same thing. And you do mention that quite often in your book, that we that COVID-19 has ex 
exposed our interrelationship that the, the we are also interrelated with these animals and they're much more conscious these animals than we think of them as being they're much more tuned to us than we think of them as being and you have evidence for that you just don't have a belief that that's possible no i, I and and bernie I, I i wouldn't even say that i don't have a belief because the, the entire um premise of my of my evolution and of the of this book is that i do believe i believe there is so much out there that we don't understand and the the um scientific uh analogy that i use in the book is an asymptote an asymptote is spelled a-s-y-m-t-o-t-e and it's a well-known concept to mathematicians and to scientists. And the picture is of an arc, a, 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 a circular um, shape that is approaching but never quite reaches a horizontal line. The arc reach, approaches but doesn't reach. That's an asymptotic curve. And that's the way I see um, our scientific um, adventures that we are constantly increasing our knowledge base, but ultimately there's a gap between where that curve is and where the line of total understanding is. And I believe that that gap can, has an explanation. I just don't know that we'll ever find it. And I look to people like you to help us find it because um, I, I do believe, and I do believe that there was meaning in the interactions of the butterfly, of the blue jay. My wife, we, we, we lost a very treasured dog a few years ago, Lizzie, our Springer Spaniel. And at important moments in our life, there's a Springer Spaniel that walks by us, sometimes two Springer Spaniels that walk by us. And Sarah believes, and I believe with her, that our beloved Spaniel is sending us messages that she knows that these are important moments in our life. I can't, I'm an evidence-based scientist, so I can't, I'm waiting for you to be able to prove that the psychosphere that envelops all of us includes our animals, our birds, our butterflies, and our Springer Spaniels. Good, thank you. And another, another part of all this, um, I'm going to ask you to um, to speculate about uh, an observation. Um, the the COVID nineteen virus is pretty incredible from what how it works. I mean, uh, it's a it gets out there. It's out there to survive, and it's it, it mutates in various ways, perhaps in the sickest people, and becomes something else that's a little harder to chase and do something about right. it, its origin the the market in wuhan maybe uh, a lot of people like the virology lab that's only two 20 miles away as a potential source of it somehow the virus got out or somebody sold a right. sold some a, an animal that a bat maybe that had it in right. it uh, right. We don't know, but this, uh, Wuhan's done this before, and the virology lab is very high-quality lab, so it's fun to speculate. We don't know how it started, but it started, and it keeps going. 
And the virus has a very interesting um, tendency to survive no matter what it does to the host. It can kill the host, disable the host, but it just uses the host to continue its life. Well, there's an analogy uh, to what uh, human beings are doing with Earth, the planet Earth. Hu human beings are not paying attention to its impact on the planet. They're just chewing up resources and destroying the planet in somewhat the same way the virus destroys human beings. The two of them have a selfishness, a self-involvedness in common. And I'm struck by the parallel between those two as we do environmental degradation and the virus degrades us. Does this, how does this metaphor strike you? Well, I'd never heard it before, but I think it's brilliant. Um, first, a comment about the virus and, and the, the Wuhan origins. Please. Uh, this is the ultimate butterfly effect. If ever one was to try and prove that one small action in one part of the world through many, many inflections and subsequent interactions can impact places far away. This is the perfect example. This virus is the butterfly effect. It shows that one virus, perhaps in one bat or one lab or one human has spread to infect and shut down, literally shut down the entire world through its action. So that is the, the ultimate in um, uh, understanding how randomness becomes not chaotic, but becomes understandable. This is, you, you might think that this was going to be a, uh, that every action doesn't necessarily impact every other action, but this is example of where it does. Now to your question about the, the analogy to man's destructiveness, I think, that, I think that's brilliant. I, I honestly believe that we, in fact, by every action that we take, the, the, the disposable materials that are not recycled, the gas that we, could, that, that we burn and, and blow into the air from our automobiles, I think each of those is very similar to that virus being released and causing downstream effects. I write in the book about um, the farmer who um, irrigates his land with pesticides on the northern edge of the Mississippi River. And those pesticides get into the river, travel downstream, and they kill fish at the other end of the country. Because the farmer doesn't know he's doing that. The, the, the fisheries don't know why the fish are dying, but the impact is real, it's significant, and it's oftentimes far away and, and un, underappreciated. And I think each of us in many ways is, <clears throat> is that farmer who is sowing pesticides into the environment, literally and also figuratively, and having downstream effects. And it's very analogous to, to what you describe as the virus's effects also. I, thank you. I, 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 re, I bring that analogy up because the virus is a mirror of what human beings are doing to the planet. Mm -hmm. The virus is a mirror to what human beings are doing to the planet. And 
it's a it, it's it's in a way a, a, a synchronicity it's a in the sense of it two parallel events having meaning together with human beings in this case being the central one much like a human be a person is the center of uh, two different uh, coincidence patterns that come together around them like your dog since seeing a dog you're the center of that so human beings are being splashed in the face with being like the virus itself and even more so, Bernie, the virus proved to us the impact that we're having on the environment because when we were all locked down, the environment recovered. And there were examples all over the country in our neighborhood of, of improved environmental conditions, animals coming out, wild animals coming out that hadn't, that hadn't been in cities for decades. The, the air quality was better, the cars were off the road. And so if not only are there parallels, but there are perpendiculars. The virus has proven to us that, that if, if we're not careful, we're going to revert back to the environmental hazards that existed pre-pandemic. And I think we already have, as we've begun to open up, we've lost that lesson. It's, it, it, thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, a, it's synchronicity writ large. Yeah, that's right. For human beings. And that's um, one of my uh, intents is to, to establish the concept of what I call the collective human organism, that we are all one thing and that we are cells in this collective human organism. And that we, as a collective human organism, can experience a synchronicity that has to do with us as a collective human organism. Bernie, can I ask you a question related to that? Please do. How do you see um, a higher power than human beings involved in that collective human organism? Do you, do you um, uh, rely upon humans being themselves, the be all and the end all, that we are all that there is and we just have to further experience and evolve and understand each other? Or do you think that there was a plan that resulted in this human, in the collective humanity? Uh there's something greater than each of us. You can't get away from that. <laughs> Just look around. There's other people, there's other, there's things going around. And I'm, I, I go from the ground up, Harley. I, I start lower and go up. I don't so much try to go from the above, from the above down, which a lot of people do. Although I think there's, I, I like to see what's up there. And so what I, what I think of this um, virus as being, for as an example, is like many synchronicities are, are, are lessons to us about ourselves. So I think there's a, a, a collective human subconscious that of, or unconscious that we're all sharing and Jung called it a collective unconscious and in this collective unconscious just like there is like in um, crime and punishment the, the, it, it, be, it begins to express itself 
despite ourselves. Uh, Freud and Jung were able to tell us, and others, it's our subconscious comes out somehow. So I'm preferring at this point to, to look at the largeness that we are all part of, which is that we are part of this planet and that we share a consciousness and subconsciousness with other beings in this planet and that our own subconscious can reveal itself in these strange ways. We did it to ourselves. We created it ourselves, the, 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 the virus. And we need to, we do it to be able to reflect back on ourselves about what we need to be able to do. There is something more going on, Harley, and you mentioned the psychosphere and our shared mental atmosphere. And that's what I'm exploring and trying to be able to develop a cartography of. So I'm not getting yet to to God or universe, which are much too big concepts for me. Uh, I, I still go to, go to synagogue, particularly on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. I do, do something on every Shabbos, Baruch Atah, uh, and say the Yom HaShishi. And uh, yeah, I still do the old rituals. Yeah. They connect me with the past where there was a lot going on, including Kabbalistic thinking that we never learned about in Hebrew school or from the rabbis. But the Kabbalah was a traditional Jewish notion that needed to be brought back into Jewish thinking, and it isn't. And there's a lot of beautiful ideas in the Kabbalah, and we don't get them. And that's, that's, that's cut off as a Jewish people from that kind of heritage. We're trying to explore something more than what we're here about. But that's enough about all that wonderful question. And thank you for, for asking me. And let's get back to uh, some of the coincidences that I think are amazing in your life uh, that like Father Carl um, is, a, is a great story. Uh, I used it in a recent post that said, do coincidences save lives? And yes, they do. Uh, and you saw plenty of them. So why don't you tell us uh, either Father Carl or you wanna tell us another one? Father Carl was a remarkable story. And it was, uh, it's, it's part of the, one of the essays that was written for the, for the Miracles We Have Seen book that we did a few years ago. Uh, Father Carl was a 70 year old, um, gentle, kind, beloved priest who was visiting his parishioners uh, on one of the upper floors of a suburban Boston hospital. He finished his rounds that morning, it was a Saturday, and he gets into the elevator of the hospital to, and pushes the button for the lobby <coughs> and then has a massive heart attack. He is the only one in the elevator. The button has been pushed to the lobby. He collapses in the, in the elevator but instead of going to the lobby, the elevator stops on the third floor where the cardiac care unit was and waiting at that door for an elevator to go up, which wouldn't have happened until the elevator first went down to the lobby, was Dr. Adler, who is the essayist who wrote this story and who had the experience and is uh, one of the cardiologists, uh, prominent cardiologist at Harvard, he saw this large man in a gray suit with a priest's collar who was sweaty, clammy, and unconscious. And as the elevator doors opened, this man rolled unconsciously toward the door. Dr. Adler 
alerted his staff, who was, was a, a slow Saturday, but they hadn't yet left. And the staff of the cardiac care unit came running. They performed CPR at the elevator door, could not, re, could not get Father Carl to regain consciousness. They literally dragged him to the cardiac catheterization, catheterization lab, where a very tricky procedure was done to unblock the artery that had clogged to cause the heart attack. But Father Carl's pupils were fixed and dilated, which is a very bad sign in medicine that there's been brain damage. And even though they were able to regain a heartbeat, they didn't know what his brain damage might result in, what his, the effect of the heart attack on his brain might have been. But four weeks later, Father Carl was speaking at his parish to a congregation expressing his gratitude to the doctors and to God for saving his life. And Dr. Adler writes in the essay, had, Dr. had Father Carl's heart attack occurred anywhere else, including anywhere else in our hospital, he very likely would have died. But it occurred in an elevator that opened on the floor where the cardiac care team had not yet left for the day on a busy Saturday and we were able to save his life. So yes, coincidences can be life-saving. That is such an amazing story. And yeah, you wrote about it in Medical Miracles and you also wrote about it here as part of your synchronicity uh, group. And I was impressed with that right away when I, when I read it the first time. Uh, the, the, the coincidence was, plop, Delaware, the, the, the doors open, the doors open and there, the doors open wow. and, th and there he is and there the cardiologist is trying to get on. on. An incredible story. There's another one, Bernie, if I can share one more story that is, <clears throat> this is a story about a man who went to the wrong basketball game. <laughs> An extraordinary story. So I, I'm glad you started off that way because uh, <laughs> a lot of coincidences are like that, where you did the wrong thing and you ended up in the right place. Just, that's, that's exactly what happened. That's, 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 a, that's a trope. Yep, in that's, the, a, that's right. So in 2010, there was a, there was a devastating uh, earthquake in Haiti and relief efforts began uh, after that. Um, missions from the United States and elsewhere in the world went to Haiti. There was one particularly uh, devastated part of Haiti where there was no electricity and only intermittent uh, uh, running water. Um, and uh, finally, uh, intermittent electricity and no running water a terrible place and, and American missions went there. And on one of these missions, there was a, a donated EKG machine that came from America. There were no, there was no laboratory. Everything was done by medical intuition by American doctors using their best clinical skills, but there was no support. There was no laboratory, no EKG machine. Although a lot of people in that area had heart disease and heart problems, there was no way to assess other than with a stethoscope. So an EK, a donated EKG machine from the United States came down uh, with this medical mission group. Um, but when it got there, it was broken. And one of the volunteers on this mission group was a teenager who was part of a robotics club in his high school. So he said, you know, why don't I take this EKG machine back with me to my high school and I, my, my team will repair it. He did. 
So he took the, the EKG machine back with him. He didn't go back to Haiti, but the EKG machine did go back to Haiti on a second mission. On that second mission, there was a, another teenager. Now this teenager was a basketball player. And the reason he was there was because his father was one of the volunteer physicians. And why was his father one of the volunteer physicians? Because his father went to a basketball game to watch his son play in the United States in Boston, but he went to the wrong school. And he's sitting in the stands waiting for his son's team to come out to play, but it wasn't his son's team. But he was sitting next to a friend of his that he knew from his professional life who said, you know, I'm going to Haiti on a medical mission. You should look into that. So the this, this man, this physician, is sitting in a basket, the wrong basketball game and hears about missions to Haiti and thinks that would be a good thing and he should take his son. So he took his son on the next mission to Haiti he missed the basketball game. He didn't see his son play basketball, but he took him to Haiti with him. The new, the, the, the repaired EKG machine was there. And this physician's son said, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first guinea pig. You can try it out on me. So they put the EKG machine on this healthy basketball player and they found a life-threatening heart disease, heart ailment. And he was rushed back to the United States for emergency surgery by a renowned surgeon in Boston. His heart was repaired. The high school player went on to become a nationally recognized high school athlete. And then his father went back to Haiti for another mission, heard about a girl who had apparently heart failure. They brought her in, tested her with the same EKG machine. She had a life-threatening heart ailment but she was an orphan with no papers, no documentation, no way to get the heart surgery she needed. The father told his son, who had the heart surgery already and was the star basketball player, about this young girl. The son asked his own surgeon if the surgeon would be willing to operate on this girl if they could figure out a way to get her to the United States. So between Haiti and the United States and the bureaucracies, they couldn't figure it out. They finally asked a newly elected senator from Massachusetts for help. The senator helped get this girl to the United States. The surgeon operated on the girl, saved her life. And this is a story of three teenagers who never met, saving each other's lives through an EKG machine that was broken and got there in the company of a cardiologist physician who went to the wrong basketball game. Now, how did that happen? Wow. We call that far out and groovy, man. <laughs> right. That's that's something. We are talking. We are talking with Harley Rothbart, who wrote this book. And the story was not in this book, but the passion you heard from Dr. Rothbart is in this book. Actually, Bernie, the story is in the book. I, I wrote oh. about three teenagers. It follows Father Carl. It's oh. It's, I, it's also it's also in the book. So it's they, also I, in the book. I, I, I guess give, I didn't I didn't read I, that I, one. I even give them pseudonyms so you won't recognize who they are. <laughs> Otherwise we would. So it is in this book. And the passion you just heard is in this book. Thank you. No regrets living. You you're welcome. Now I know I know you're not big in to try to explain these things, so I'm not going to try to get you to do it. You're just standing back and reporting, which is what we have to do in this, because I'm collecting stories. And I'm collecting stories that go, wow, like that one. 
uh, like the Father Carl one and say, you know, this isn't just random. Um, and I think maybe this is time for Dr. Ropar to talk about the law of truly large numbers. <laughs> well, that is a term that um, statisticians use to justify coincidences. And statisticians who are not spiritually or um, uh, emotionally oriented uh, necessarily explain coincidences by saying that in a universe, in a world where there are so many things happening every second, it is likely statistically that there are going to be occurrences that overlap that seem to be related, but it's just the law of truly large numbers, enough occurrences, enough people, it, 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 just, it just happens that way. There was, one, there was one such example in our family where, um, which I really I, I must have been explained by the law of truly large numbers. When I was doing my training in Philadelphia at Children's Hospital, I shopped at a, at a Marshall store on, uh, in Overbrook Park, in the Overbrook Park neighborhood, City Line Avenue. I bought all my clothes there for my residency. And uh, I didn't know, but five years later, I would meet Sarah, my, my future wife, um, who during the summers between her school uh, worked at that Marshalls where I bought my clothes. And so I told the kids that slowly over the 34 years that Sarah and I have been married, she's been purging the closet of the clothes that she sold me before we, before we had ever met. Now, of course, that is unlikely to be a divine origin story in my mind, but it is the law of truly large numbers. I had to buy my clothes somewhere. Sarah had to work somewhere. It happened to be the same place. Were we destined to meet five years later because there was some uh, unconscious connection that we made at the register when she was selling me my clothes? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the law of truly large numbers um, covers over um, one particular problem um, that I that I'm going to go back with with Father Carl just as a good example because it's just two events. The EKG one is several as a oh, sequence, yeah. which is uh, harder to get to, but probability uh, probability is uh, is is measured by uh, is, is determined by statisticians by base rates. So you have the base rate, which you referred to of Father Carl having a heart attack and the cardiologist being uh, at the door. Those, the cardiologist goes to the elevator every time he's there. So it's a common event for him to do that. And the, to have a heart attack in the hospital is not such a common event. It's a lower probability event, but it happens in the hospital too. So there's there's the the prob there's a base rate the, that is the frequency with which the cardiologist goes to the elevator, which is pretty high every day. And there's the there's the, the having a heart attack in the hospital, rarer event, but happens. And you just multiply those base rates, and then you get the probability of that coincidence happening. The, the the statisticians do not include timing in their 
uh, estimate of the probability because they, they would come up with the same thing with the cardiologist going to the elevator or, or Father Carl being on the 10th floor and having a heart attack would be the same probability. But to have it within a, a, a few seconds of each other lowers the probability significantly, but they don't recognize that. And it's a remarkable um, missing element to the law of large numbers and probability estimates in, st in statistics. So I try to like, hey, come on, guys, you got, no, they don't want to hear that. It's not something they want to go to. Well, we're coming to the, the end of uh, our session, and we, we didn't get to go through uh, some of the other stories that you, uh, that you were able to uh, put together. But why don't you summarize what you think you're trying to convey in this great book, very well written book, the No Regrets Living. What's what's what are some of your messages you'd like people to be able to hear? I think, uh, Bernie, that um, we are all too busy, too rushed, and too preoccupied to appreciate uh, what is happening around us. And uh, my goal with the book was to get people to slow down enough to be able to appreciate the signs in their lives, the coincidences in the coincidences in their lives, the many things that we have to be grateful for in our lives. Um, and when we do all of that, um, my hope is that we will end up at the end of our lives with fewer regrets and greater appreciation, um, more, more gratitude for the way we have lived our lives and what has happened in our lives. And I think if we're conscious of the butterflies and the, and the blue jays and, the, and the, the whales and the gnats, there are, there are things happening around us that are so beyond scientific explanation, the way that, that uh, dolphins communicate, the whales communicate, but ants communicate with each other and gnats communicate with each other. And we're just now beginning to realize the, the vastness of what we don't know. The more we learn, the more we recognize that we don't know. And, and appreciation for that, for simple things like, like um, a clear night when you can see the 70 billion trillion stars. We can't see anywhere near that many, but that's how many there are. And appreciation for those, um, observations and the occurrences that you describe in your book, Connecting with Coincidences, that, um, that I describe in my medical career as, as medical coincidences. Appreciation for those is, is, I think, a way to increase the contentment in our lives and the wonder with which we see the world. Beautiful, beautiful. So it's been a pleasure talking with you. Harley Rothbart, uh, it's nice to see you again. Good to see you. And uh, I wish you great success with your book and most importantly, the ideas behind your book and the concepts that you relate to people in your book. So thank you very much for, for being with me today on our show. And I'll see you hopefully some other time. I hope so, Bernie. It's always a pleasure, and I learn I learn a lot from you. Thanks for thanks for sharing. You're welcome, Harley. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Consciousness. 